Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thank you, Billy, and welcome, folks, once again to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Today's journey taking us through San Antonio, Texas, where we recently were covering the Cattle Industry Convention for 2020. One of the folks we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with at length, the Senior Director for International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Kent Backus. Now, Kent is a Texas native, but we won't hold that against him as we wanted to talk with him about one of the most important aspects of the beef cattle marketing efforts today, our efforts to sell beef into the worldwide market. That has a value of over $8 billion. That was the value of trade that we had in 2019, and it looks like the potential for 2020 is for even bigger sales, especially with some of the trade deals that have been accomplished by the Trump administration. Kim Backus joining us today on the road to rural prosperity to talk about some of those trade deals and what the potential is for the U.S. beef cattle industry and for our Oklahoma beef cattle industry. You know, in Oklahoma, our biggest driver within the agricultural community is beef cattle production. And for our beef producers, exports deliver over $321 ahead of value Exports improving the value of animals all along the chain and all along the production trail that we find across Oklahoma in every county of our state. Kent Backus joining us today to talk about those exports. Today we are powered by the Oklahoma Rural Water Association, a nonprofit trade organization designed to help water systems in our state be represented at the state capitol. You can learn more at orwa.org. And we're back with Kent Backus in just a few moments on the road to rural prosperity. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. PSO provides electricity service to more than half a million customers across Oklahoma. Increasing reliance on natural gas and renewable energy is our future. Cleaner, more affordable energy to power our lives. A strong Oklahoma economy boosted by new jobs, increased revenues for rural communities and schools. Together, our energy is boundless. We're on the road to rural prosperity, joined today by Kent Backus, the Senior Director for International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He's probably the most knowledgeable man within the beef industry on a lot of the ins and outs of the market access negotiations, the trade deals, if you please, that have been worked on over the last couple of years, or even longer in some cases, most recently, of course, by the Trump administration. Kent, lots of success here at the end of 2019 and early 2020. Yeah, Ron, I mean, when you look at 2019 into 2020, this is just a good time for the U.S. beef industry. When you look at what the future is going to hold, I know that when we look at the beginning of the year, we're always trying to forecast what's going to happen and everything else. I, I think that 
our producers need to be careful and realize this is not about a sugar rush. This is about long-term steady growth in some major markets. Uh, first and foremost, we have a trade agreement with Japan kicked in on January 1st. That 38.5% tariff has now dropped to 266 It's going to drop all the way to 9 here in just a few years. And most importantly is it puts us on a level playing field in our number one export market. That is a $2 billion export market for us. It counts for 25% of our exports. And the value add is, is somewhere between $80 to $90 per head just for that market. So when you look at the, at that $2 billion in sales with a 38.5% tariff, if you can only imagine how much more we're going to be able to sell with a lower tariff, that's a lower tax on our beef going in there. And we're now going to face the same tariff as, well, I'll be very honest with you, lesser quality beef from other countries. This is going to be a big opportunity for us. No one produces the high-quality grain-finished beef that we do, and that's why the Japanese want it. They can consistently get that high-quality product at a competitive price. Now we're even much more competitive. So I think we're going to see a lot of growth in Japan, a lot of opportunities there. Of course, uh, as far as Japan is concerned, we did drop a couple of percentage points in 2019 compared to 2018. Probably going to make that up and more. Well, that's exactly right. And, and part of that was because there was a difference in the tariff rates. We were stuck at 38.5%, and the Australians were at 266 mm-hmm. So we lost a little bit of momentum there. But, you know, I think that we didn't uh, – I don't think that we're out of this game. I think that we're going to be on fire in Japan uh, throughout 2020. Uh, you know, another another good development was on January 1st with the, our new market access with the European Union kicking in. We're going to have access to 35,000 metric tons of U.S.-specific uh, quota there, and that, that's, a, that's a great thing because the EU is one of the most protected markets in the world. Um, they have some amazingly high tariffs and significantly small quotas. They just simply do not want to import outside beef. And so this is, this is a good opportunity for us. We don't see this as the final destination. We see it as the first step in the right direction. Because, unfortunately, that beef is still restricted to just beef from non-hormone-treated cattle. So it's more of a niche market, but it's a pretty big niche market. We're talking about a 250 to $300 million niche market that's going to grow upwards to four or five, four or 500 million here in just a few years. So there's some opportunities there. On a much bigger scale, the ratification of the USMCA, that means that all of those millions of dollars in the years that we've invested in building a strong consumer base in Mexico and in Canada, that means that we're going to be able to keep that competitive advantage in those markets. And that is huge because the Canadians and the Mexicans, uh, more so the Mexicans, they buy a lot more of the cuts that Americans just simply don't want. Mm-hmm. And we sell them at a much higher price down there in Mexico. So there's a lot of opportunity there. In the case of, of the Mexican market, you, you mentioned that they, they like some of the cuts that we don't find as valuable in, in the United States. That, that's a really a big deal. It is because that increases the value, uh, you know, the, the overall value of the carcass, the overall value of the cattle. Uh, you know, when we can sell tongues and rounds in Mexico at, you know, at two to three times the value of what we're selling here, I mean, that's a big opportunity for us. 
mean, not a lot of Americans are going out and buying beef tongues these days, but we're selling them in Mexico. We're selling a ton of them in Japan and in Korea. Uh, you know, unfortunately, cows only have one tongue, but, you know, we're, I think we're going to find more markets for that. Uh, but you know, when you, you look across the board, USMCA is also important because it brings NAFTA into the 21st century. It updates a whole lot of things, and it brings it. I put this politely. It takes the politics out of trade. It takes the politics that, that we have suffered in Mexico uh, with switching SPS to the sanitary and phytosanitary standards. There's been a lot of uncertainty over the years with Mexico, and I would say in the last few years that's changed a lot. But would the last thing we want to do is be leveraged for the Mexican government to get something from the United States. And that, unfortunately, has been the case in the past. You know, with the USMCA, all of those sanitary, phytosanitary standards are those are set in stone. We know this is going to work. That means that we're going to have stability and opportunity in the Canadian and Mexican markets. And probably the biggest development is this phase one deal with China. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about this before, but I feel like the China, uh, the, the China announcement, it's like we got this big fancy gift on Christmas morning. <laughs> we just unwrapped it. We're real excited. We want to see it. We want to play with it. And now we get to put it together for the rest of the day. <laughs> I think that 2020 is going to be that year where we're really trying to implement that China deal. Uh, I, I think this is, this is not about the next year or the next two. This is about the next five and next ten. And there's going to be tremendous opportunity in China. It's You're talking about 1.4 billion people, a fifth of the world's population, a middle class that's bigger than the entire U.S. population. And you're also talking about a country that is hungry for protein. They had to get rid of most of their pork production. They're going to have to redevelop that. They're importing record numbers of beef. They're the biggest beef importers in the world. Everyone is clamoring for that market. And even with some of the other issues that they have internally with corona and these other stuff, that coronavirus and other things, I still think that the long-term uh, projections for U.S. beef are going to be just off the charts. I really see China as being one of our top export markets in just a few years. But we have to develop, we have to develop a consumer base there. We haven't really developed one yet. They don't really know what grain-finished beef tastes like. They don't know what a high-quality beef cut looks like. And in, in a lot of Chinese cuisine, you know, U.S. beef is, it, it's, you know, it, it could be overcooked or it could be they could use too many sauces or other things like that. It's, we're going we're gonna to have to do more to educate Chinese consumers about how to properly serve and prepare that. But we've seen this in a lot of other Asian markets as well. And that's why you see in places like Taiwan and Hong Kong and elsewhere where more of that Western style of beef service is really starting to catch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a lot of consumers in Asia, they want these American products. They want U.S. beef. They want that experience. And so that's why I think that 2020 is going to be a great year for us. I also think that it's going to be a great step forward as we start to advance U.S. beef all across the world. Senior Director for International Trade and Market Access at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Kent Backus, on the road to rural prosperity with us today. And we're back with more in just a few moments. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. 
With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Thanks and welcome back. We're continuing our conversation now with Kenneth Backus of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Continue to think about this phase one trade deal with China. I know that you know, as, as we waited for the details of the phase one China deal, you know, we were kind of thinking, well, what's going to be in there? Exactly how, what sort of a deal did they cut on phytosanitary standards, these non-scientific barriers? Uh, we, we were able to, to really make some, I mean, the, the, the trade ambassador, um, Greg Dowd and, and uh, Mr. Lighthizer, they did uh, some remarkable uh, work there. Absolutely. I mean, you got to hand it to our trade negotiators. Uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, Ambassador Dowd did, uh, did they, they, they're miracle workers. I mean, China has some of the biggest barriers in the world. But for beef specifically, you know, first and foremost, removing the BSC restriction. I mean, that's been in place. I mean, we, we were banned there for a long time because of BSC. We've had that 30 month restriction for years. So not having that anymore means that there's a lot less paperwork and compliance that has to go into. It also speaks to the faith they have in the animal health uh, here in the United States and all of our production practices. Uh, they also removed the traceability uh, requirements. That was an extra step that, quite frankly, not everybody wanted to participate with. And because it's not a food safety issue, um, you know, a lot of people didn't see the need for it. So we have those two things removed. One of the biggest ones, obviously, is the establishment of maximum residue levels for hormones. Uh, with China, China's banned hormones for years. So the 180-degree turn that they are making now in embracing technology and following the U.S. lead, I think that just underscores the fact that we do it right. And we have safe production practices, and we uh, we know how to use these technologies. And China's also agreed to uh, conduct a risk assessment for ractopamine. And anyone that's dealt with China knows that ractopamine is taboo. That's just not something that they want to talk about. Uh, in many ways, they they confuse that with clenbuterol and you know and, and other compounds. Uh, but we've been able to really educate them over many years. And the fact that they have agreed to conduct a timely risk assessment uh, means that we could be able to use that technology in the near future. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Again, it's going to take us a while to unpack all this. So it's not about the next quarter or the next year, but you're looking at about the next five, next ten years. And I think the future is bright for U.S. beef in China. Now, kind of for a, lay, for a layman uh, that is uh, listening to us regarding the, some of the technology, especially the, the beta agonists that you're making reference to, uh, the ractopamine, uh, explain you know what, what we're what we're talking about here and and the the need to try to get China to accept this uh, this proven you know proven technology. Yeah, you know, in the U.S. beef industry, we use FDA tech, FDA approved technologies commonly throughout production. At the cow calf level, we're using we're using implants, we're using hormone implants. Uh, we're going to be able to continue to use those when you look when that animal goes to the feed yard, and they're using Optiflex and they're using other other compounds. Ractopamine is the, is the big one there, you know, and that's going to add value and that's going to help with efficiency. 
China is going to conduct a risk assessment so that possibly in the future we'd be able to uh, we'd be able to send them beef from cattle that have gone through that similar process. Uh, but these are major developments and a major shift in Chinese views. The important thing is that as we implement this agreement, as we get this up and running, that we uh, that we do it right the first time, and that we continue to uh, to educate the Chinese and we continue to educate our consumers everywhere about the safe and judicious use of these technologies, and just underscore the point that you know. U.S. beef industry, U.S. farmers and ranchers, we are committed to animal health, animal welfare, food safety. These are all priorities for us, and that's not something we're willing to compromise on, and that these consumers, no matter where they are, they can feel safe knowing that the beef that we're going to put on their table is the same beef that our families are going to consume. I know that uh, earlier today the uh, <laughs> the Cattle Facts Outlook Seminar, uh, Randy Block uh, talked about within about five years we could see another th- Two to three billion dollars of value for the beef industry, as far as beef exports are concerned. Uh, a lot of that, obviously, in Asia. A lot of that in China. Yeah, I think that uh, really the sky's the limit. A lot of the estimates right now are very conservative, simply because there's a lot of external factors when it comes to Asia and Latin America. Just a, a lot of instability there, things that are outside of our control. Uh, I think that the rules of trade that are that are in place, uh, what we are going to implement over the next few years, uh, it could it could be a billion to, to two billion increase. It could be much higher than that as well. When you look at some of the estimates for Korea and for other markets in the past, they were very conservative, and then just a matter of years, we outsurpassed those. I, mean, I don't I don't think anyone expected us to be selling 1.8 billion dollars worth of beef into Korea. Uh, you know this. You know this soon after the implementation of that agreement. Right. I mean, that was a market where people were they were shocked. We were selling four hundred million, and, and now we're we're just capitalizing on strong market demand there. That's the thing, though, Ron. Is we build that trust with those consumers. And they have our product. They're exposed to it. They want more of it. They're willing to pay for it, and we have to respond to that. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. Uh, some of the estimates are probably uh, conservative. Uh, I think that's a safe way to do it. I think that's a, the prudent way to approach this. But, I, you know, I think the sky's the limit when it comes to Asia and U.S. beef. One last question. I know that uh, we, we talked about as we got into those early stages of the NAFTA negotiations and what resulted, of course, in USMCA, you, you made a, a point at one time that you said it was really important we got this across the finish line because it sends a message not just to Canada and to Mexico, but it sends a message to the world that we're open for business. I, you know, I stand by that statement. I think the fact that, you know, Congress overwhelmingly ratified USMCA sends a strong message that it's not just the Trump administration. It's not just the executive branch that cares about trade. It's the entire U.S. government that cares about trade. And so, you know, with that overwhelming support, that bipartisan ratification of USMCA, that does send a very strong message to the rest of the world that the United States takes trade seriously in that uh, it's not just a political punching bag, but we see 
opportunities for all Americans in trade agreements. And the priorities the United States is going to pursue is something that we want to benefit uh, not just a handful of wealthy people. We want to benefit all Americans from this. Uh, and I, I think that is a, that's a strong American value. We want to continue to support and continue to, uh, to share around the world is the value of open markets and fair trade. Uh, at the, you know, because of trade, we have upward we have upward mobility in the United States. Uh, we have a chance for people to rise and fall based on their merit and based on their success. Uh, I can't think of any story that resonates more with agriculture than that. Uh, the fact that you know our folks get up every day and take that risk. Uh, you know, it's not just the not just the success of of the current. Uh, operations, but of future operations. Uh, we, it's not just a, you know, it's not just a, a lifestyle. It's, it's a real business, and these are a lot of risk and reward that are involved with it. I think our trade policies support that, and I'm glad to see other countries are, are more receptive to uh, the American views of trade. In, in the case of uh, of cattle producers, trade is meaningful. It, it's, it's valuable. It's worthwhile, right? Absolutely. When you look uh, not just at the uh, not just at the the economic impact of trade, but when you look at the fact that you know you can be the fact that you know you're raising cattle there in southern Oklahoma, North Texas, uh, you're raising those, and you're thinking, you know, uh, you know, all that matters to me. Sometimes we get this mindset that you know, you know, past the farm gate, the rest of it doesn't matter. And that, that's not the truth. And a lot of producers understand that. A lot of producers know that that calf that I was out there today and that, that I was checking on uh, at 3 in the morning and it's 20 degrees outside. And it was freezing. I'm not getting any sleep. But that calf that was born today, I'm going to raise that calf. And I'm going to take care of that calf. So I'm going to invest a lot in that calf. And I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do everything I can to make that animal healthy and safe. And as part of this production chain, I know that eventually that calf is going to be a commodity that's used uh, here in the United States in a whole host of different ways, whether it's going to be through a beef product or any of our numerous byproducts. But that product's also going to go all over the world. And so I think trade is something that resonates with a lot of folks in our industry because you know, there's a lot of pride to be held with that. The fact that you know you may be the beginning part of that supply chain, you're the one of the most important parts of that supply chain. Without you, none of this is going to happen. And so you know what we're trying to do at NCBA is make sure that as we open these markets, that everyone benefits along the supply chain. And the best way to do that is to drive the most demand and capitalize on all that demand for U.S. beef. And so, you know, we think that uh, there's a lot of opportunities that are out there. And we're glad that we have a grassroots organization that that listens to producers, that's led by producers. Uh, so that same producer who was out there at, you know, 3 in the morning checking on that new calf <laughs> is also the same producer that was in our International Trade Committee meeting today you know, voting on policies and, and voicing concerns and support on different policies that affect their bottom line. And that's exactly what NCBA is. Thank you, Kent. Kent Backus of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association talking about uh, beef exports and a great, great future that seems to be ahead of us here in 2020 and beyond for the beef cattle industry, including our beef producers in Oklahoma. 
Our thanks to the Oklahoma Rural Water Association for helping sponsor today's Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. We'll see you down the road real soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and oklahomafarmreport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies.